0: There absolutely still is an opportunity to start a food and brand right now. Just be realistic about how long it's going to take and the path it is to get there. Like whatever you're here, you can no longer bring it. $10 million brand in one year is, is very, very unrealistic, right? It takes time. Um, so get, so just settle in, settle in for the long haul if you're gonna.
1: What is up, Modern Commerce listeners? I want to show you an amazing app we've been using called Triple Whale. You can check it out. Try TripleWhale.com. It has all of the business health metrics and growth metrics you could possibly need all in one place, right? So everybody can get on the same page. This has revolutionized our ability to help grow brands and collaborate with brands. Everyone can get on the same page on the most important metrics. So if you're a media buyer, you could come into this and you can just use this little pin icon right here. You can pin to the top the most important stuff to you. So if I'm a media buyer, I might have ROAS, I might might have ad spend, I might have new customer ROAS, right? But if I'm an owner, maybe those things aren't as important to me. Maybe I just want, you know, net profit, show me the net profit, show me the sales, right? Show me the number of orders um so everyone on the team can get in line get you know on the same page of what the most important growth metrics are because it's different for every brand um so grab triple whale at try use it i promise you it will make your growth path far more clear and uh enjoy this episode of modern commerce
2: welcome back modern commerce you're here again with casey and john we've got one of our exciting interview episodes here today john is becoming one of the best interviewers i've ever met uh we got a special guest that i'll let him introduce uh john's actually in a special location today too he might give yeah. us a little insight into that john what you got going on dude
1: yes yeah so I'm, I'm in san diego at mission beach if anybody knows where that is beautiful here uh so if you hear like a roller coaster there there is a roller coaster to my right i'm outside um i'm here for geek out if you you know if you've heard of geek out it's a great event Speaking here, um, meeting some cool people, but excited to do our podcast today with Ryan Rouse. I did not ask you beforehand if that's the correct pronunciation.
0: That is you Ryan got it.
1: Ryan Rouse of High Key Snacks. Um, Ryan, yeah, give us a give us a little you know background on you.
0: Yeah, the short version. I'll, I'll try to keep it short. I um I spent the first twelve years of my career in like traditional in finance. Um, But in 2013, a buddy of mine from college came to me with an idea to start a a ready-to-eat meal company called Factor 75. So we started that business with virtually no idea what we were doing. We certainly didn't know anything about marketing or food operations or any of the above running a business. So not exactly the best lead-in to start a business. Um, I'll cut to the chase. I mean, eventually I was forced to learn marketing and I was forced to not only learn it but push all the buttons. So I would learn from people, buy courses on everything that we now know about growth marketing, how to run traffic, advertising, search, paid social, um, SEO, email automation, the whole kit and caboodle. Uh, so it wasn't exactly the funnest time in the world. We we were struggling mightily. We eventually figured it out, but I did learn. I'm now much in a much better position to lead all growth marketing functions because I've push those buttons myself, right? Uh, intimately close to those buttons. So we ended up growing that business um, and, and eventually sold out and got acquired for a large sum of money, uh, which is great. Um, and then uh, since then I did a lot of consulting, mostly with CPG brands, mostly uh, in the consumable space and the better for you space, helping them with their e-com channels, direct to consumer and Amazon. And now I'm at high Nice. Yes. And when you're head of growth at high key,
1: VP marketing, what's Yeah, I guess technically title? chief digital
0: officer. So all, all chief, e-commerce and, um, what roles under me, what does that actually mean? That's, that's right. Amazon. That's direct to consumer. That's customer service. That's social
1: nice. Yeah. I mean, the titles, I, this is one of the things I'm learning as we've gotten acquired by structured and we're at a bigger titles matter to people. I didn't ever think titles mattered before, but Yes. Yeah, titles definitely matter. One thing I know about you that I, I think is, uh, I think that is like really awesome. And, and we've had an episode of Modern Commerce before where we kind of like ranked marketing gurus um, and and coming in, I believe at number one, either number one or number two for us was Ryan Dice. Uh, and I also kind of cut my teeth on, I know that that's kind of where you cut your teeth was with digital marketer, digital marketer courses, which is like, You know, it's, I feel pretty fortunate sometimes that's also where I cut my teeth because there's like a lot of shysters, you know, a lot of gurus selling you four-year-old courses and stuff that, uh, I gotta, like, that's what attracted me um but yeah that's one thing i know about
0: you as well yeah yeah 100 percent. he was one of the very first um i i bought um the machine yes it was, that was, one of my- it was the very first i was at an event <laughs> um so i started the event train and i was telling this guy at the event that i just met that we had all these emails that i had to write um, and he's like, you got to buy this program. It's the machine. So I bought it from Ryan Dyson. Immediately, just connected. He, he, you know, I think that the the breaks um, it down. Yes. It really does he the the information product category gets a bad rap because there are ninety percent probably, if not more, are, are bad. But the people that teach it, like I've learned everything I've learned from some sports sort of course or another yeah. one form no, of course or
1: another. I mean, yeah, I, I think the right, yeah, we kind of look down on the gurus, but there are some really good ones that I like in a lot of ways. I would say that digital marketer, digital marketer, marketer courses have definitely changed the course of my life. So, like, that was that's so funny though. Machine was, I think, maybe it was definitely the first high ticket thing I bought. I might have bought some of their tripwires before
0: yes i did that and then i and then i went to traffic and conversion the the moment i bought that it's the i i ascended up from there you know bought that and and then one part of their community went to traffic and conversion i remember my first traffic and conversion summit i was completely blown away because when you're that new and i knew nothing about marketing And so every single session was mind blowing
2: information.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it was awesome. And then aside from the people that you meet, we we know this to be true. You know, like geek out. Um, I'm supposed to be there this week. uh, Weekend. I'm 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 wishing that I was, but I love events. I love meeting people. I love learning.
1: Yeah, for for sure. No, I I think that's uh you know I I really wanted to bring that up not to have like a you know five minute testimonial of digital marketer products, but uh really to kind of say that like I know that you're a big learner, which as a head of growth, I mean you know, full disclosure, we, we work with Ryan and Heike on an agency basis. And like, if you, if you have done an agency at all, there's a roller coaster going by. If you've done an agency at all, you know, that there are clients that like, you're just kind of constantly having to have the conversation of like, let me kind of you're kind of having to constantly educate them of how like what they can actually expect from direct to consumer what like all these things you know what actually you can do and help them with and what is their responsibility and uh i think a big reason high key has had so much traction so quickly on DTC uh is just is really because you are have the background you have and you're and you're such a lifelong learner so yeah big big props to
0: you for that Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's, um, I've, as I said to you from the, the beginning, I try very hard not to be a bad client, and I say that in a <laughs> joking way. But um, when your expectations of what your agency can do for you are out of whack with what's reality, it's 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 bad for everybody, right? Uh, we dealt with that. I, I know that because when I when I was uneducated, when I was at Factor, we were hiring agencies expecting them to basically do it all, right? Like find our product market fit be our head of marketing basically yep. and then we would be frustrated when they weren't and and that's just not most agencies job are there some that exist that can do that probably i i haven't had have, you know that's just a large ask that's a, a lot
1: of yeah i mean a lot of good agents you end up kind of covering more of that right yeah you know, uh, b- but re- yeah you're, you're totally right so yeah i mean i want to kind of get on uh on the top on the topic we're talking about today so specifically today we are talking about you know we're doing a series on how to grow different types of brands um and, and high is an interesting brand because it's in a few different categories uh but specifically how to grow a, a food and beverage brand or a snack brand um or something like that so um with your experience consulting working with different brands meeting different people what would you say is like kind of the main, uh, I mean, there are some core elements of growing any business, right? There are some core elements of growing an e-commerce business, a physical product business um, that you're selling primarily online. And then there's like some things that are just variations or tweaks or or a little bit different about growing a food and beverage or a snack brand than say growing like an apparel brand or a jewelry brand or a fitness brand or something like that. So um, yeah, what, what have you learned over the years kind of specifically growing those like eatable, consum- edible, consumable, consumable brands.
0: Yeah, the first um, I always my my co founder who's like a buddy of mine from college at Factor. He used to say you put it in your mouth, and he would mean by that is like it has to taste good. If if you bring a food product to market that doesn't taste good, good luck. It's not happening.
1: Yeah you
0: know um i think that on top of that now which wasn't always the case we're in the better for you category i think better for you is probably table stakes for any new brand starting now in food and bev right the 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 big players of cpg are there and they have a lockdown on the non-better for you categories and you don't see a lot of new entrants into that category because they have market share and they're probably going to keep it so i think the opportunity is in better for you but you have to have food that tastes good. So that's the biggest thing that I would take away is if, if people don't like the food, it doesn't care. It's not going to matter how healthy it is compared to what's the rest of what else is available in the market. You're not going to sell a lot of things, which would lead to the second point is retention marketing is so critically important for lower. Let's call it lower AOV consumable food based products, food or beverage based products. You could make the argument, obviously, that retention is a core pillar of any marketing strategy, but the truth of the matter is some, some aren't going to have repeat buyers. Some have a high enough AOV that right. you can be profitable on the first if, order. If you sell Bowflex, you yeah.
1: Know, yeah. Like you, you, your LTV is probably not that high, right? It's, a, it's an instant offer, right? We're, yes. trying, we're trying to profit on the first order. So I, 100%. I agree. I think a lot of people just like bang that LTV drum and I'm like, that's not super relevant to everybody. But yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 100%. Very-
0: hundred percent. I also, you know, what's interesting is thinking about channel mix. You know, there's a lot of conversations always out there about Amazon, more, more Amazon than anything else, right? Amazon is a competitor to your direct to consumer site. Um, when you're talking about food products, grocery products, I think you have to understand that the goal is to win. The goal is to sell a lot of product. And so the hierarchy of where you're going to sell those products, You have to be realistic about and that's retail first brick and mortar retail then it's amazon then it's d2c in terms of the buyer at this point in time 2022 the buyer priority like everyone's got their place where they go first to shop and you have to understand that your direct-to-consumer store is the path of with the highest resistance to the consumer that is not the spot that they prefer to shop
1: yeah uh, people are least trained to buy food and beverage products directly from the source right so uh thinking about one of your competitors uh um you know who who makes who makes i don't know if we should call him out who makes chips ahoy is it nabisco or is it uh it's nabisco yeah, yeah it's nabisco right so think yeah. about one of your main competitors nabisco like tons of nabisco snacks that everybody buys i'm sure somebody's watching this has something nabisco in their house do you go to their website to buy like nobody's going to their website to buy their chips ahoy cookies you know what i mean like you buy that at the like we have years and years of ingrained training to buy that stuff in the marketplaces for that stuff so yeah yeah it's a great point i love that
0: and i think it's you know it can be It doesn't mean you don't have an opportunity on direct-to-consumer. It doesn't mean that you can't build a solid channel with a solid P&L, but it has a lot of implications. For one, understanding that when there's inventory issues internally, you're going to give on the D2C, probably to other channels, and you should, because again, it's about about selling more product. Um, But it, it is not conflict. We're not in conflict with our sales team who's selling into retail. We all are on the same team. Amazon's under the same hood inside the organization that I run here. So we're clearly on the same team, but there's still, there's people on, on one team versus the other. And ultimately we're trying to sell a lot of products. So, you know, the main thing that I would say with that is Amazon, I see a lot of rhetoric and in, in, in discourse online about whether or not you should be on Amazon and to each their own on their thoughts on that. It does depend on the brand, but if you're selling grocery food, um, on a lower aov product and you're not on amazon there's a good chance for leaving money on the table
1: for sure yeah i um yeah a couple, a couple things on what you said uh said, so the kind of the first thing you said about how like look it's it's got to taste good you know hard stop right like uh and that's a big part it kind of flows right into retention marketing like you said If it doesn't taste good people aren't gonna buy it again um I've, we've also had Nick Sharma on the show, who who also works with a lot of food and beverage brands. And one of the things he said it, it, he, oh, when he was on the show, he's like, in, well, I was, maybe it was before the show. He said, look, in food and Bev, it's kind of got to work, right, right? Like if somebody sees it, somebody's walking through Walmart or Target and sees it, they get it. They get like why, you know, they get why they should buy that. And if they taste it, they also get it, right? Like it may, they're like, oh, I get why I should buy that. And if I get a sample of it or something like that, it tastes good you know like you can't make them overthink about it um and yeah I, I totally agree i mean you can you can probably sell a product initially on its benefits you know or it's you know whatever the unique selling proposition is um but but yeah i mean in order to actually grow a brand absolutely um and the other thing is yeah i i love your approach to omni channel and i one of the questions i have for you is do you think because i actually don't see that approach to omni-channel show up in a lot of brands, even a lot of advanced brands, where like they still are very stuck on seeing each channel as its own. Like, hey, DTC has to stand on its own and we want DTC to grow this much and we want Amazon to grow this much. And, and they don't necessarily think it about, you know. I think especially, and we've had it with other snack brands even, where you don't think about like, um, you know, we got we got some, some high key snacks when we first started working uh, with you and we ate them they're delicious i was like yep we're gonna we're gonna order some more pretty soon here you know hadn't gotten around to it but then my wife was just going through like you know the grocery store and they were there and so she just picked them up right it was actually more convenient for her because that's where we shop for other groceries um than it was for me to kind of remember to go back to the website or even do a subscribe and save thing you know a lot of people are hesitant to commit to that on a on a new product right away so yeah, I love the approach. And it, that, I think it really drove it home for me that I'm like, oh, we just experienced that. And that now on their website, the LTV on me does not look good. Yeah. If you think about the things that we consume all the time. So my wife drinks Red Bull. I drink Monster. Red Bull could pay any cost to acquire my wife at any cost. She will, yeah. she will probably spend tens of thousands of dollars on Red Bull over the course of our life. Um, or yeah, same with me and monster. Um, but it will be, I mean, we've bought it on Amazon. We have bought it in grocery store. I don't know if we've ever gone directly to site to buy it, but all over the place. So, you know, yeah, I love your approach to omni-channel. Why do you think that some brands don't see it that same way? You know, do you think it's just an education thing or do you think it is a misalignment? You talk about teams. Do you think it's a misalignment between teams and they like, just don't really have that thing structured the right way?
0: Oh, that's such a good question, And I think I could go in a couple different directions. One, consider this um, a lot of organizations have e commerce sitting under marketing. Fair enough, I have my opinion on that. I don't think it's a marketing function but but they do and um a lot of cmos or vps of marketing if you're in a role uh if you have had the experience in order to get a role as head of marketing whatever whatever title it is at that particular company there's a pretty good chance today that you haven't touched e-commerce right that will change 10 years from now many many heads of marketing will have had a lot of experience up through e-com but today's vps of marketing and cmos they came up through brand they are more tilted towards brand marketing and they don't have a lot of experience in e-com. Right. So I think you have to have and 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 so then say the same thing, head of sales today, a head of sales, a CEO, a lot of people in the, in the, on the leadership team, probably don't have a lot of experience with e-commerce. And so therefore it would make sense that they're viewing things the way that they always used to view things, which is on a channel basis. What is club doing? What does their p look like? What is retail doing? What does their P&L look like? And that makes sense. So I, I have had the experience here and at a couple other uh, stops along the way where it does take a lot of education. You know, our CMO or our, our CEO uh, is very open to the fact that, you know, he's came through General Mills. He was there for 20 years. He's a, He's a stud. Um, but he knows retail, he knows CPG through the retail experience. And, and I love working with him because he's like, I don't know your stuff. You do, you need to educate me and the rest of us. So he's been very open to that, but it's been a, a, a process of us saying, okay, here's how we have to think about this one to your point, John LTV, the, the, the core KPIs of a direct to consumer channel, we're going to have to, we're going to have to be flexible with those. D like LTV is not a true yep. LTV. Yeah, right. It's
1: right. Yeah, it's asterisk next to that. Yeah, right, next to right that KPI.
0: To, uh, customer acquisition cost, right? Uh, we have a strong, strong Amazon presence, and we are everywhere in retail, everywhere. So we're spending money for people. You guys are spending money to get people to our website, and they're going to go buy elsewhere. So, so how do we look at cat from that standpoint too? Right,
1: uh, retail retargets them for
0: us. You know, yes, right, yes. So we could get into how I think about like how we're flex those those metrics. I think it's an important conversation, but the answer to your question directly, I think that it is that. I think I think in 10 years you're gonna have this is gonna be mainstay, but it's the same reason why we've all gone to um, MER or blended ROAS from a paid advertising perspective, right? Or using advertising as as the comp. Um, we're willing to lose on a couple of different ad sets, or audiences or creatives to drive volume, right? Because we know that there's others that have better, that aren't driving as much volume, but they have better economics. So club and retail have better profitability economics than D2C and Amazon, but we get volume out of D2C and Amazon. We also get awareness. There's a lot of positives to it. So we care about the PL as a whole, just like blended ROAS cares about the channel as a whole. It's the same exact analysis down
1: Right. Yeah. I, I think this is a, actually a super pertinent point on, uh, if you are finding yourself in a, in a, a good decision-making position at a food and Bev brand, uh, which it's crazy that it's crazy how big some of our, our clients food and Bev brands are with someone like who very, knows just very little about e you know? Um, this is a major advantage. Like you just said, 10 years from now, you know, this will change. A lot more people will have the mindset like you do on this, right? So if you can get ahead of that, I think that's a major, major advantage and see it holistically. Um, You know, I I think we've had other guests on, uh, another guest made a a sports analogy once that he's like, you know, I look at at an e-commerce brand or physical product brand. I think one of my favorite analogies for athletics uh, is that yeah, maybe everybody do, does have a role, right? Like I play a position, you know, somebody plays quarterback, somebody plays running back, somebody plays linebacker. But at the end of the day, everybody's job is just to win, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, your your position matters, but really you just got to do whatever is needed to win. And you, you have to, like, know when to play your role and when to maybe even go outside your role and when to, like, when your role isn't the most important thing
2: happening on the field.
1: Either. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I I just – um. Yeah, Casey, anything there? I, like, I know you're the sports analogy guy, but
2: yeah, I mean, uh, that's actually one of my go to questions on interviews is, uh, you know, like Ryan, do you have a favorite sports metaphor for marketing? Are you a sports guy, by the way? I
0: am. Yeah. Okay.
2: okay what's your favorite that's sport?
0: <sighs> well, favorite sport to watch right now is football, favorite okay. sport to play is golf
2: gotcha okay okay cool. so with that in mind do you have a particular we've done a whole episode on this before john and i ourselves and we've asked it on a couple interviews but i always like like to hear new ones do you have a favorite kind of metaphor from sports that you can take to marketing yeah it could be as simple as like yeah. be a team player or, or whatever
0: the, the 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 one i always go to is everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face it, it which is absolutely true you know it's how many people want which i wanted back in the day too um what's the 90-day plan the growth plan, right? Like, my, fi-
1: my favorite is when our brand's partners come to us and they're like, yeah, so we're doing our annual planning right now in like Q1. So like they're asking us to tell them what like September is gonna look like. And I'm like, I mean, I can put some numbers in a sheet for you, but yeah, like that I'm, means nothing.
0: If we all agree and know that this is a guess, cool. And so right. interesting enough, that's such a fantastic point. That's another thing that's going you're talking about process inside of a business. Retail is much easier to map out a year in advance.
1: Your Q, your Q3 orders are currently coming in when you're planning so in Q1. Your Q4 orders totally. are, are coming in right now.
0: Yeah. So this annual planning process and um uh, what I always say is uh, e-commerce annual planning and finance are like oil and water. Right, and I've had the pleasure of working with fantastic finance leaders who also get it. That is such the key, right? Where they're not trying to force it. Can that person sit with you and you explain it to them, and they open mindedly get it? And then, and then we come together to say, okay, this is our best guess. This is our eighty percent. We know it will change. You either can or you can't have that dialogue with that person. But yes, uh, the annual plan when it comes to ecom, I mean. Good luck, right? right. It, 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 there's just no way to, to to be that. If if any of us could predict that far in the future, we we wouldn't we, have to work.
1: We would be much more rich than. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've I, actually
2: I got another one if you don't mind, ahead. John, because uh, this one's kind of near and dear to to our experience. I think. Uh, so, Ryan, you mentioned at a college, you, you teamed up with a buddy from college, right? On on Factor, Um yeah. I was wondering, since John and I, we've known each other since middle school, um, I was wondering from your perspective, what are some like unique advantages and maybe even like uh, things that put stress on the relationship by working with somebody who you've known for a long time and had kind of a friendship with before a business partnership?
0: Wow, you guys could probably speak to this too. I mean, one, it's a marriage for sure. And so you have to treat it as such, communication, being honest with each other, I think the advantages are that you have this comfort level and this trust level and that you've probably um, been very, uh, don't have to learn how to be honest with the other person, which is very hard when, you know, you first meet someone, you're in the honeymoon yeah. stage for quite a long time with new people and you don't really shoot it straight. So I think that's a huge advantage. I think a huge disadvantage is for us in particular, um, is you have a lot of history that may or may not be helpful in terms of business but like we weren't clear we were friends we we didn't like look at each other as as co-founders from the standpoint of what are your strengths and what are my strengths and all that looks like a good symbiotic relationship we could have. He's like, you're my buddy, what do you think? Cool, let's go do this. And now <laughs> now we haven't really divided and conquered. I think our early employees at Factor would tell you they didn't know who ran the company per se. Like he was the CEO on paper, I was the COO on paper. What do titles mean in an early stage startup? They mean nothing, but like we have to, we both had to agree on things in order for things to move forward. And that's not a good, that's fine if I, if we're agreeing all the time, but that's not how business works.
1: Yeah, the, I, the symbiotic thing. I mean, Casey and I uh, we, We've neither got a shorthand
2: us, for communicating essentially.
1: Right, yeah but but like, yeah, the downside of course is, yeah, neither of us has like a, a knack for brevity, right? Yeah. So sometimes we take a long time on stuff that doesn't need to be, and we both like, really think about stuff from all the angles, whereas like, sometimes someone who's just like, alright, like, we need to stop and make a decision here, uh, is, is really valuable, but yeah, that's, you're dead on, like more comfortable with each other more straightforward yeah, yeah. love it um okay i want to hit on one other thing uh around food and bev and growing a food and bev brand growing a grocery brand a snack brand i think another big thing and i touched on it briefly is that hikey, hikey snacks does really well is like answer the question like the, the life force eight desire around if you've ever kind of read, uh, cash advertising, the life force eight desire around food and beverage, you'd think it might be like survival, but it's not at this point. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. enjoyment or some other things. So I think that one thing there is an abundance in this category, right? Like there are so many things, there are way more things that people can eat and that are people are being shown like, look, this'll be good. This'll be good. This'll be good. Um, then they will ever be able to, to eat or consume. Um, and so being able to answer the question of, like, who and why in a very simple way is another, I think, main element, especially in the traction phase for for a food and beverage brand. So an example of how Heike does this is um, you show some of your products being used as ingredients in something, um, and, like, it looks delicious, right? So right there, you know, you're kind of in this category of maybe other things. It's, it's a dessert. So the, your wafer product, you kind of have an ad. Um, where, where you show it kind of as an ingredient and in a dessert. And right away, you you kind of are putting in this product of like, you know, other things that looked al- that delicious would be probably like crumble cookie ads and things like that. Uh, and then there's just a simple headline on there that says two grams net carbs, right? And so that like high key does that, like kind of like the cross section of enjoyment of food and beverage and all of the core desires that people have around being healthy The, you know like I don't know social approval keeping up with the Joneses all those things that people feel around being healthy and losing weight um, your 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 ads like communicate that so well which I think is huge for food and Bev because it is so easy to just get lost we actually have another brand that is not in the better for you space um, they're like and and they have a hard time I mean because they just have to go up against the all the other stuff that is showing delicious looking food you know
0: yeah it's you know in the perfect world i believe in all ads have to be able to um describe what you do you know who you are what you do and why that's going to benefit the person that sounds so straightforward maybe it's not to some but for for us it is how to do that is the challenge Right, so how do you how do you right. tap into that desire? Like, easy to say, well, just write that in the copy and and then just go. But that's right. got to be in the image on paid social. So I think we, yes, I think I think a lot of our our social team does a fantastic job with um, with creative. And we have found the three of us on the call that that's working well inside the ad accounts for all those reasons. And and maybe you don't know, but when we put that out, that's what it's doing. so what are we two grams net carbs? Like the benefit statement is that's what it is. But the rest of it is how will your life be better? Well, you're going to get to have dessert. Yeah, you're (laughs) going to get to have dessert without all the sugar and all the carbs that it normally comes with. That's fantastic. And it's, it's, it's doesn't have to be explicit. It's like implicit inside the ad. Yeah. Well, one
2: other thing i like about that just from like a mindset because you know we have we have the benefit of working with many different brands and we kind of just get a different vibe from brands from time to time and you guys seem to like get it we put you in the category you guys get it um and i think there's a little bit of like ego removed from some of your products too like that whole like to to the play John was talking about that recipe kind of play of like, yeah, your product is the hero of that recipe, but it's not the only thing that adds showing you're saying like, Hey, our stuff's great. It can be made even better with a little extra added to it. Right. Right. Using and use so cases. many, so many brands yeah. that just ride over their head. You know, if you were like craft, you can show pictures of like craft singles all day, but wouldn't people rather see a grilled tree sandwich. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We're yep.
0: walking around and peeling that off on the go, right? Like how many right. of those did we used to eat? We were just like crushing yeah, one of those kids. singles down.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh I want to go into another round here of of sort of a different line of questioning. Um and and again, along the line of food and bev, I think it's it's interesting and easy uh to say, well, not easy, but interesting to talk about all right, here's what's working for us right now and stuff like that. But let's say twenty it's March 2022 and we are tomorrow the three of us launching a new like snack brand um ryan like what do you think are is like that there's a few phases of ecom growth right and so i'll hit them it's you know getting your initial sales that zero to 1 million type of whether it's DTC or, and I'm not, I'm not limiting to DCC. We could go anywhere with this. Yeah. Um, that initial, like people buy it. Right. Um, and then probably kind of one to 10 is another sort of after 10, you're in a different kind of phase, maybe 10 to 25 ish, 25 to 50, 50 plus, uh, type of thing. March, 2022, you know, if we're at zero, we're launching tomorrow. What do you think is like the first most important things that we're doing? Um, and let's start by assuming we have solid product. We have good yeah. tasting
0: product, yeah. So so we've identified that there is a need for this product and we're different in some way.
1: Right. Uh,
0: I, I am such a D2C person. When I Factor was d to c only, we had no other choice. And so um, I'm very, very cognizant of the fact that my bias is d to c uh, but I'm also just a realistic business person and so that's why I keep harping on and I say this because I talk a lot about all these things when when I'm when I'm on LinkedIn, right, which is the only platform that
1: I'm on, right,
0: and, which and
1: if, if you're on LinkedIn. Excellent follow.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's funny because I, you know, I feel like there's people out there who think uh, like I'm. I, I don't like D2C. I love D2C. I'm just realistic about it. So if we're launching a food brand this month, the three of us, and we know that there's a point of difference and it tastes great, I'm launching on Amazon and I'm trying to find a retail partner. You know what I mean? Like D2C is hard. You guys are buying ads for D2C all day long. It's hard. Five years ago not that hard not as hard not as hard cheaper right you can make a lot of mistakes and still get a reasonable customer acquisition cost and today that is not the case so i would wait i I
1: would put it this way if we're going to launch d2c we're probably going to need some investor backing and i don't know if that's where i want to go you know what i mean mean, i'm not against investor backing i just you know i'm i would have to commit to investor backing in order to say we're going to commit to launching a, a food brand d2c um and and i don't know that i would even want to take that prerequisite of, of launching with investor backing if it could potentially be bootstrapped but you know there's a there's a potential that especially if one of us has connections or one of us has done something like this before we could get launched on amazon with in more of a bootstrapped manner right or, or do the leg work to get a retail partner or get it yeah. into some smaller retailers get it like get some traction and some cash into the door that we can use right yeah
0: yeah the amount of of um cost and time that is required and skill sets that you have to go get. The three of us is probably the wrong cop because we right. could launch a DTC, DTC site, you know, system. like yeah. we could do that, but, but the three normal people, me when we launched our business, you know, you'd like, oh, let's just get D2C up. I think there's a minimum viable version of DTC. You can stand up and be fine and have it there, have a presence. Get a template um on shopify and be fine but you're still talking about customers. there's just a lot the tech stack is not uh is a meaningful amount of money and and more important the experience is going to be needed you need someone to buy media you need someone to strategically know what they're doing so yes if we're bootstrapping and we feel like we have it i would i would go hog on um finding a retail partner and then i would i would get on amazon just because it's less complex it's not easier per se but it's less it's got less moving parts even just removing customer service from from the task that we have to do is a huge thing right
1: removing it and and going where there's already traffic to start right like we are traffic people and we're sitting here saying this, yes so it's absolutely so okay all right we're zero we we get some traction that way at what point do you start saying hey so we're zero maybe we're one million one million to ten million zone what are the kind of the important things for kind of keeping the momentum in that phase of growth for for food and bev,
0: yeah, really understanding why people buy, why you know, so we had the three of us had our idea for why we we knew what our point of difference was on on sort of the non psychological like these are the check boxes of oh, like we check all these and the competitors don't. But in that first six months, I would talk to as many customers as possible, which presents a challenge because I just said we don't want to go D to C, yeah. right? But like get it in as many people's mouths as humanly possible and like get real feedback for why we just talked it, about like go ahead
1: yeah no I, I was just gonna say like maybe even going to retail partners and and setting like a sample table up right yeah. and and number one selling it that way right because we just need to get selling and we need to get it in like you said as many people but getting getting feedback that way as well like and asking for not just saying oh yeah it's good like you know, no, can we get some honest feedback, maybe doing some kind of promotions around, you know, if somebody buys it, they can, you know, enter to win a year's supply or something like that so that we can, you know, if they buy it right there at our sample table so that we can reach back out to them and and ask them, okay, like, we just want to know, you know, with, like why you bought it, right? Like, what do you like about it? And and be honest with us, right? Yeah, there's um, a job to be done. We the honest feedback, yeah.
0: Totally, There's there's, uh, before we'd even launch, I would be hardcore. It's it's totally copywriting stuff, right? I would be hardcore in forums and Amazon reviews, understanding the why that people are buying this. I'd say for anyone who going through reviews, any size brand could go to their own reviews or someone else's reviews. And start a google doc and copy and paste you're not looking for nuggets that you need to then write you're copy and pasting like just gold copywriting nuggets from customers in those that are hooks for your ads or for landing pages or for your emails i mean just the the themes will start to appear where you understand what the job to be done the three or four jobs to be done of your product are in the market and that's that's the unsexy stuff that no one ever wants to really take the time to do but it's most important
2: I've got a question here about that. So how do you, as somebody on the brand side, deal with negative comments, you know, positive comments, obviously you're talking about how you can take the good out of that, take it, build it up. But I mean, countless amount of times now, we'll, we'll deal with the brand and there's there's one negative comment on an ad and they're like, guys, I don't know if we should run this anymore. Like right. what's your personal review. philosophy on when you see negative comments?
1: Yeah, and where's where's the sort of like, uh, greatness, that's one person's opinion versus like, no, that's a legitimate, yeah, you know?
0: I always ask, so when customer service will come, a lot of, you know, standard, like a lot of people are starting to complain about this. Okay, what does a lot mean? Because we might've just been selling a lot more product recently. So on a percentage basis, it might not be that much, right? Um, I, first of all, if you're selling a premium product at a high cost, you're gonna get a lot of negative comments about cost. You guys know that you're watching it real time. Um, But in terms of taste, I think one of the really benefits, I'll get to the answer, but like better for you is a challenging, it's got its pros and cons. I think the time for better for you hasn't even come yet because the generation who's only going to buy better for you stuff is the one beneath us and they're not even in disposable income yet they don't have as much as they will have in 15 years because it it hasn't tasted as good as it can taste yet Uh, yeah and they don't have the money like it's it's 20 year olds now who literally won't buy anything but that and they don't have the money to spend for premium stuff so the time is in the future i think where where the market share of better for you is going to actually tilt and the tipping point um so that's that that's a good portion for the future. The challenge with Better For You is ingredients. You know, So people have learned their health from whoever they've learned, gurus in the marketplace, podcasts, books. That's how I learned all of it too. Um, and just like us with marketing. So whatever they believe to be true about different ingredients may not be based in fact or science, just on what they heard in their Facebook group. And so they'll come in on our ingredients hard, and they'll be like, "Why are we using that?" You know, and and so my my personal stance, Casey, to 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 answer your question directly is, I'm fine with negative comments in there. I think we should address all of them. I think we should, I think it's better for someone to come in, and read an ad and look at the comments and see the brand there answering questions. Um, to a certain point, if, if it's if it's crazy out in left field, and really, you know, someone just wants to come in and hate, I think I think it's easy enough to hide. But if they just don't like your ingredients, I think answering the question of why you're using those ingredients is is the way to go. Or price, like this is a premium product, right? Like it, it, It's going to have a higher cost to it. We understand that not everyone can afford that, and that's you know, it's the cost of doing business. Yeah,
1: love it. All right, so so that's zero to kind of zero to traction. 1 to 10 million, really understanding your customers, why they buy. So you have that understanding, let's say, you know, we're growing. What is the key sort of, cause, and the reason you say that in one to 10, that's the key to breaking through 10 is to really like get into who's buying this and why, cause it will get a lot easier, right? Yes. Like you'll know where you should be in your retail stores. Like, should yes. you be next to like, which aisle should you be on? Literally yeah. right. Um, and uh, how to, how to start positioning things as you're starting to launch D2C, as you're starting to advertise more and stuff like that. Okay. So let's say, you know, 10 to 25 million at this point, you're selling, you've got a few retail partners, you're selling probably on maybe a few marketplaces, definitely Amazon. Um, you're probably doing some D2C selling and even some D2C advertising at this point. What would you say kind of in that 10 to 25, 10 to 30 million type of phase is like the key to getting past the 25 million and into that next phase?
0: Innovation. I mean, what's going to drive retention is innovation, 1,000%. You know, it's, um, to your point earlier, there's so many different competitors. And there's the chances are that the, the, your customers will try all of them. And they may come back to you at some point. They may not. They may like you and not come back to you. But the way you're going to continue to get people to come back and buy is if you can bring new products. I think in 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 food, uh, maybe bev. I've not had a lot of experience in bev, so I, I won't even speak to that. Flavor, in food, it's a lot of flavors in bev. Flavor, yeah. Ex- okay, yeah. So so line extensions. Um, mm-hmm. You have to have innovation. It can be form factor. It can be line extensions, flavors. It can be a brand new category. But if you're not innovating, it's going to be really challenging because you you've only got so much chance for velocity with a single. Skew or form factor in retail or online. Dead dead on. Um, If you get to 10, 12 million
1: food and bev, you're now big enough that somebody is going to come along and maybe do your product better than you. Yeah. You know, like your formula is your formula and maybe they can't do it, but like, they might be able to get close. And if they can even get close, I mean, they've got so many places they can potentially, they could potentially beat you on price. It, you know, who else might come along and start? Maybe not at this level. I mean, you might not have Kroger's or great values coming in on you yet at that point. You might later. Um, but uh, Amazon, you know, might be, or like you're got, definitely going to have competitors coming in on you at that point. So innovation and um, being able to, yeah, extend your, you know, offer customers more products. All right. So you've done that you've broke through that twenty five million dollar point. what is twenty five to fifty you know maybe even looping in fifty to a hundred type of kind of growth like keys look like
0: i think it's it's all of those things again on repeat, so rinse and repeat um let's use d let's start with d to c um and then use that as a as a um as a comp for like the larger business so on d to c If we had, if we had a couple of SKUs and the job that the three of us have for high key is to identify, uh, who are the people that buy each of these products and why, and ideally what we're doing, how we're scaling that is we're going to say, okay, we know the type of person that buys our wafer cookie through ad, uh, general ad copy, going to a PDP, we found that there's two or three different types of people. How do we build a journey for each of them? Ad landing page that speaks, ad that speaks to that person, landing page that speaks to that person. PDP is the same PDP, but we we're, we've done the selling now to that individual, and now they just need to check the boxes for ingredients, NFP, all the all the different things they need to see in an NFP or on a PDP. So that scale to me on D2C is like, how many of those funnels can we have for how many different SKUs? If we have we have twenty or so, right? We know that we're running ads for three main hero SKUs at this point. We're going to try and find a fourth. But within those three hero skews, we've got three or four buyers for each of those. So in my perfect world, a year from now, we have, it wouldn't be, we, we would have six funnels built. And I use the term funnel, people don't like that, but you know what I mean? It's like six journeys. Six journeys. Yeah, yeah, six journeys of this person we know buys this product for this reason. So we're gonna go there to a landing page. Could be a five reasons, advertorial type blog post. It could be a more salesy type, Landing page with an offer, but that's what we're doing. And so now we've got nine journeys built, and we're going to get a lower cost per acquisition for each of those. So if that's on D2C, we want to do the same thing everywhere. Where we just said, How did we get to 10 million on a single SKU? Well, how do we get to 10 million on six SKUs? Right, that's, that's where you get $100 million businesses is like right. rinse and repeat the process you got to 10 million on one of those SKUs, knowing that like, just like in your ad account, four are gonna four of the 10 are gonna, you know, we did 10 or 20 or 50 to find the four that worked. We're gonna do the same thing here from an innovation standpoint, which of them have legs, which of them, you know, we're gonna need five or six SKUs or seven in retail broadly distributed across. And we may have 15, all help the p l on online but you got to rinse and repeat the the zero to ten process for yep. five more skus. that
1: is it i mean really 25 50 million plus i mean i don't know how you know if there's different changes in a billion um you know but it, it a lot of it is just you've got a formula at that point how do you kind of recreate it refine it the only thing that i will add at that level of business growth, is us three at that point? We are as people and business leaders going to have to have grown quite a bit. Yeah, um, you know, to be able to correctly assemble and, uh, allow teams to, to, to support all of that. Right. And, and have them be the right amount of process and, and the right amount of nimble, right. And that balance and stuff like that. So, so that's probably the other major challenge is that a lot of times people who've led businesses from 25 to a hundred million are not the same kinds of people led them from one to 25 million. And that can be good or bad. And sometimes those 25 to a hundred million people, they're missing some stuff, right. going to. Key fan, and but the five million people is like you think too. You you kind of think nimbly, right? Like there's got to be, or you can't be tripping over dollars to pick dimes anymore. Um, you, you can't be hustling every day down every down anymore. So um, that's such a
0: good point. That's right. a, I mean I didn't talk about team. I, I stuck to product and marketing, right. but like. <laughs> the team is probably it's as important, maybe more at that level. Absolutely. Right. I mean, 1000%, I will say our founder, AJ, uh, went and he's not a CEO, he's a founder and he knows it. And he's, he's built and sold multiple businesses, but he knows he's not a CEO. He doesn't want to operate his businesses. And so he's done this multiple times, but at high key, he went and found a 20 year general mills guy who's a stud CEO of a CPG company who's watched multiple hundred million dollar brands, billion dollar brands. So he brought him in, right? In year one and a half. Like how smart is that? Cause now he, this guy, you, you no longer have to deal with what you just said, which is a huge chasm of like, um, do you have the people in place that can get you to the goal that you have in mind? And it's very possible that you can, you have people in place to get you to your next goal. And then you may rethink that. That that's a, That's a path too, but ideally you have, a couple people who can get you all the way there. And then, you know, there's less. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, Ryan, it has been good talking with you. Um, We'll wrap up now. So I'm going to give you a second here. We kind of end every episode with what we call a parting shot, right? So through this conversation, through the ideas that we've, kind of shared uh, and had, like maybe kind of thoughts that have been unlocked in your mind. What would you say you know, in, on this topic of, of building food and beverage brands, growing food and beverage brands? You know, if, if, if somebody w- skips straight to the TLDR version here, um, what would you say is sort of your parting shot or your, or your main kind of piece of wisdom to give, give anyone in this space?
0: It's gonna take longer than you think. It's gonna cost more money than you think. Right to do that. There is there is an opportunity. There absolutely still is an opportunity to start a food embed brand right now. Just be realistic about how long it's going to take and the path it is to get there. Like, whatever you're here, you can no longer bring it. You, Ten million dollar brand in one year is is very very unrealistic, right? It takes time. Um, so get so just settle in, settle in for the long haul if you're going to do it.
2: Those great words. Yep. can uh, You got to be realistic when you're growing stuff, right? Yeah. So thank you, Ryan, for joining us on this episode of Modern Commerce. John, thank you, as always, for doing this with me. Modern Commerce, thank you for watching. Uh, we always appreciate it. If you like this video, please remember to give us a, a thumbs up on the video. Uh, drop a comment for us. Don't forget to subscribe and hit the bell icon to get notifications about whenever we drop new content. And as always, until next time, we'll see you.